Can everyone stand for the reading of God's word? Today's passage comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Dead to sin, alive to God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Good afternoon and happy Thanksgiving once more. Uh, Last week, we spoke about um, how we experience life together. As a church, we're committed to one another to rejoice together and also to share in our sorrows together. It was a reminder that in this world and life, we will suffer. And today, we'll see how now we are called to be saints. We're called to be saints. And so let's read this next clause of our church covenant that we've been covering in the last several weeks. And this is one of the commitments that we're committing to. So can you read this? Can we read this together? Read this with me. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, and remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism, and raised again from the symbolic grave. So there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life. That's a mouthful. Here's a simplified version of that. We are saved or justified to live holy lives. We are justified to live these sanctified lives. So we are saved. This is something that happens just once on the finished work of the cross through Christ and now to live holy lives. In other words, we who are already saved and if you identify with Jesus, you are empowered to live out now this salvation. So live like you're saved. Live like it. Right away. Right away. 
We know this is hard. Is this realistic? Can I actually live a holy life? Oftentimes, the very presence and reality of sin and the temptation to sin in our lives. As we struggle with that day in and day out, it often leaves us disappointed, discouraged. Sometimes it could just kind of derail me for that whole day or that whole week. I don't know if you've ever been, feel like you're you're kind of stuck in this cycle of just never-ending guilt. It's like, I'm trying. I don't want to keep on sinning. I don't want to do these things. But I feel helpless. Sometimes that leads us to feeling really numb towards God. It's like, you know what, I'm just kind of kind of shut down and shut off because... I don't know what else to feel. I don't want to constantly feel guilty or just not, I'm not doing good enough. My expectation of growing in holiness, it doesn't match my real experience. And so this is not easy. It is a struggle to live this new and holy life. And so through God's word today, we'll see what really enables us, what enables us to live holy lives, what actually enables and empowers us to live holy lives. Is that even possible? Is that something that is doable? And what we can know is that if you have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, that you believe that through his sacrifice it covers your sins. That also means we now belong to Jesus and there is hope. So let's look at again in Romans chapter 6 what the Apostle Paul is writing to this church and also by extension is encouragement and instructive for us. So what enables us to live holy lives? What we can know is that we are united with Christ. Let's read verse 4 and 5. I'm going to read that for us. It says this. We were buried, therefore, with Christ Jesus by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What Paul is saying here is this. He, are, he just made a whole argument in the beginning portions of this letter that we are justified, we are saved by faith alone in Jesus and his work alone. He just made the argument. You are saved if you believe, if you have faith in Jesus and the work that he did. We didn't do anything to deserve or merit it, but it's just by faith alone. And now... He switches and is like, now therefore, this is what it means for us. In other words, he's saying, you are what some theologians call positionally holy if you are in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. 
And now you are united with him. And the way God sees you is when he looks at you, he doesn't see the stain of sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus on you. That is a once and for all, one and done deal. Jesus died on the cross and rose again once. It doesn't keep on happening in our lives. That is our new identity and reality. And so what he's saying now there is this baptism. When we get voluntarily baptized, we see throughout Scripture, when we get baptized, when we get immersed in water, that, that movement, when we get immersed and dunked in water, you know, like this motion right here, right? You get dunked and immersed in water. Boom. When you go under the water, that's like symbolic of being buried. Like you're dying now to your old self. Your sins are being buried. Just as Christ was crucified on the cross and died and was buried, you are now, that baptism is symbolic of that. You are being buried in all of your sins. And then when you rise again from the water, like Jesus was resurrected on the third day, we now rise again and we share in his resurrection. And we share now in this new and holy life. And so he's saying, when you get baptized, it symbolizes union with Christ. You are now united with Christ. You get to share in this reality of being dead to sin and now alive in him. And he's urging, he continues on in verse 6 and verse 11. He's urging them, so remember this kind of, what the baptism actually symbolizes. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. So look at verse 6 and 11. It says, Our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Consider yourselves dead to sin once for all and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To kind of paint a picture, the Apostle Paul, he writes a separate letter to another church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, do you remember the nation of Israel? And do you remember that they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 plus years? And do you know what God did? He heard their cry. The people could not do anything to help themselves. And so God, he came down and he sent one mediator, Moses, and by his power and might, he freed and rescued his people from slavery. And he destroyed the enemy. He brought them out of that spiritually dark and oppressive place. He freed them. And then in Corinthians, you know what Paul says? It says, and then there was this baptism of epic proportion. They crossed through the Red Sea. The Red Sea split and they went through. And he said, that was like their baptism. So they were freed from slavery. That happened, period. And then they crossed through the Red Sea. They were baptized. They went through the waters. And when they arrived on the other side, the enemy was annihilated and destroyed. And they were, in fact, free. And he's saying this. He said, that is instructive for us. 
And that is like our justification. We are saved. If you believe in Jesus, you are now free from Egypt. That happened once. Jesus was crucified on the cross just once. That happened. Now you are literally free. You are no longer a slave. That is a fact. And when you cross through, when you're baptized, it symbolizes a whole new life now. So their story represents and parallels our story. Do you see that? There is a real freedom from slavery and sin. He's saying, like, we are dead to sin. Sin has no power over us. Egypt has no power over you. You're not even there anymore. You are indeed free. But what Paul says after that is very realistic. He says, but what happened after that? The people of Israel, before they were entering into the promised land, they struggled to live that out. They were called to be God's holy people. And they kept on going back on their word. They couldn't figure out how to live like free people. Remember, they were in fact free from slavery. They were slaves no more. They're not enslaved to the power of sin anymore. And yet, they couldn't figure out how to actually walk that out. They kept on giving into the temptation of sin. And so there are these parallels that we see throughout Scripture. And what Paul is teaching us is, yes, there is a real holiness that we have, you and I. You and I, we're saints. If you're in Christ, you are a saint, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a saint, right? You're a saint. If you are in Christ, you are a saint, a holy and called one of God. And yet our real lived experience, it's like, I don't feel like it. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us feel? It's like, I don't feel like a saint. Like, I don't. Don't come into my home on a Wednesday night. It is not pretty. And so, what do we do? What does it look like? What does it actually look like to live this new life as as a church community? Scripture is pretty straightforward. Scripture is pretty straightforward. I'm going to walk us through what does it really mean to consider ourselves dead to sin? What does that actually mean and what does that look like now to actually practice and live that out, to live a holy life? And the first way that we, the movement shall I say, the movement that we kind of uh, uh, use to live this new life in community is reject what is sinful. First, we reject what is sinful. I hope we understand that when we consider ourselves dead, when we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in God and Christ, it's more than just a consideration. This is almost like, this is an incomplete kind of uh, thought because he, Apostle Paul writes a lot more on, on this, like the actual actions. But it's not just a consideration sanctification, living a holy life, it's hard work. It's strenuous. It takes real effort. It's not just, I thought about it, I understand it, and now I'm just going to go home. Like, it really takes hard work. It takes hard, deep introspection, confronting the ugly parts 
of our heart and fighting for it. It's not too different from those of us who are married in this room. Wedding day. Yes, that happens once. It is done. You are one. Just like the baptism, you are one. You are now united with Christ. But how many of us know it takes real hard work every day? It is so hard, almost impossible at times. It's hard. It takes energy. So what does that look like? First is we reject what is sinful. We reject what is sinful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Apostle Paul again writes this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than your ability to resist. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure without yielding to that sin. So what does it look like to actually live a holy life? First, we've got to reject what is sinful. Reject what is sinful. You have to first know, know what is sinful and then reject what is sinful. We've got to, practically speaking, that looks like you've got to expose the sin and confess your sins to one another. I'm going to make it a little bit more real for us. How do you reject what is sinful? I know some of us in this room, we might be able to relate to this and maybe been around this. And I confess, I'm in the same group. I'm in the same boat. I was exposed as a young child, which scares me because I have my own children now, to sexually explicit material, to pornography. And that's something, as I was exposed to it at a young age, I really battled with a lot in giving into lust and the temptation to sin. For years, for years. And what was devastating and discouraging at times was even as I was a believer in Jesus Christ, I still struggled with it. And I'm going to say this, and it's, I, I don't want us to kind of miss it. It's not, I don't mean to oversimplify this. But I mean this in earnest. There came a point, there came a point where I was convinced that this is sinful. There's a difference, I want you to hear me, there's a difference between I know about it, someone has taught me about it, someone has told me that it is sinful or wrong or impure, and I shouldn't do it, and I feel ashamed about it, and ooh, I want to kind of hide it, I feel uncomfortable with it, there's that, fine, but there's a difference with that versus I am convinced, I am convinced that this is sinful and wrong and bad. Why would I ever want to do this? It would be, it would be like, all right, like I know that um, I, I just had it for lunch and it's not, okay, I won't name any, I'll just name it, it's fine. I had McDonald's for lunch, right? It's like, I know it's not that good for me, but it was fast and I needed some sustenance, right? And so, I, I, so it would be the same thing as like, what if we found out, and this is not true, this is just saying, right, to illustrate a point. What if we found out as a society there was breaking news, somehow there were uh, radioactive nuclear pellets that were in every hamburger and cheeseburger in McDonald's, and it is literally killing you. 
you would be like, no, I kind of knew about before, like, it's not healthy or what. But you would be convinced. It would be very different. You'd be like, I will never touch that again. That is toxic. That is no good for me. Like, I can't justify ever doing that ever again. This is pure, wrong, evil, bad. No way. Not a chance. And so part of what's implied in rejecting what is sinful is you're convinced that it is sin. You're convinced that it is sin. Sometimes we get so used to to, to the word sin being thrown around that it's kind of like it doesn't really do anything for us. But are you convinced that sin is actually sin? That it is nothing but destructive and evil and bad? So part of rejecting what is sinful is you expose that sin and practically you confess your sins to one another. Confess it. Confess that. Confess it to one another and say like, you know why? Because sin, it's bred in the dark when it's hiding. And when you confess it, what you're doing is you're shining a light on it, exposing for what it is, calling it for what it is and saying, listen, this is sin. There's sin and temptation to sin in my life, whatever that might be. Reject what is sinful. And the Word of God tells us that God is faithful, that He always gives you a way out, that you're able to resist and flee from temptation. So reject what is sinful. Reject what is sinful. Encourage one another to reject what is sinful. As you're rejecting what is sinful, you're not only rejecting what is sinful, but you're also saying yes and seeing that the Lord and His ways are actually good. So the second thing that we see throughout Scripture is know what is holy and pleasing to God. You know what is holy and pleasing to God. So you have to know what is sinful and be convinced that something is sin and then expose it for what it is and reject it and say, oh my gosh, that is literally killing me. I'm not going to do that ever again. Why would I want? I don't even want to. And we're replacing that with you have to know what is holy and pleasing to God. In Romans chapter 12, 2, Paul writes this, Do not conform yourselves to the standards of this world. But let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind, something that happens throughout our lives. Then you'll be able to know more and more the will of God, what is good and pleasing to him and is perfect. So we also must know what is actually holy and pleasing to God in order to live a holy life. Now, throughout Scripture, there's many lists that we see of what is good and holy and pleasing and perfect to God. All of Scripture reveals God's character, what He cares about, what He is like, His will, and therefore His command for be holy because I am holy to His people, us, it instructs us if we see what God is like that we ought to care about these things too. So there's almost like too many lists to actually list here throughout scripture. But if you have no idea where to start, start with the Ten Commandments, the, with the summary commandments. The Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Start there. As it gives a really good idea of how we ought to live our lives. Or even the, the summary of three. This is the ten, three, and two, right? The Ten Commandments, the three in Micah 6. 
do justice, love mercy, walk humbly before your God. It's like, okay, God cares about justice and mercy to the poor. Or even the two that kind of summarize it all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So if you don't know where to start, at least start there. At least start there. These are not exhaustive commands, but these summary commands represent the essence and foundation of God's command and his character, what he cares about. And scripture reveals God's holy character. So as you get to know more of who God is, get to also know what is holy and pleasing to him. I want to encourage us in this way. Uh, maybe if you're, sometimes I get like this. Uh, sometimes there's like so many things to focus on. I get overwhelmed. And then I just get like, I don't, want to, I don't even know where to start. And so we just kind of don't, and it falls flat. One strategy that like my family and I have tried, for example, is we kind of come up with a theme for the year. The theme, not that original, we go by Galatians 5, the, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So 2023 for the Yoon household is goodness, right? We chose goodness. There's no, like, perfect way that we arrive at these things. We just say, oh, what do you feel like this year? Oh, goodness, you know, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's not like a formula. We say goodness. Why? It kind of means two things. We want to recognize the goodness of God and acknowledge and notice how God is good through circumstances. Because, honestly, it's hard. We're in the season of Thanksgiving. Isn't it hard to be thankful sometimes? It's, it's, it's easier to look at all the, everything that's going wrong. And so it's like, we want to notice the goodness of God. And two, we want to actually do good works and actually help love and serve our neighbors. We want to share goodness. And so that's just our focus. Now, are we neglecting to be loving and peaceful and kind and gentle? No, it's, it's still there. But it just kind of helps us focus a little bit. It's like that's kind of a theme. Maybe that'll help you. And so if that seems too overwhelming, there's too many things then one step of obedience at a time. Try focusing on just one thing. And thirdly, this is very straightforward. Not only do we reject sin, what is sinful, and we know what is holy and pleasing to God, but now we work out our salvation. Work out your salvation. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this, work hard to show the results of your salvation. That means cultivate it. Bring it to full effect. Actively pursue spiritual maturity. Work hard to show the results of our salvation. Obeying God with a deep reverence and fear. Deep reverence and fear, meaning use serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God. So work hard to show that indeed you are free, that you can, you're no longer under the power of sin, but you can reject sin and choose holiness. Work hard to show the results of our salvation, obeying God. I want to kind of illustrate this concept maybe in a slightly different way. Same concept, just in a diagram form. I don't know if everyone kind of received this or you have this. Uh, maybe your neighbor does. 
I don't know if we have extras to hand out at this time. If, if you don't have one, you could raise your hand real quick. It's called a Cairo Circle. Cairo Circle. And you can see it up on the screen as well. Um, this is something created by a ministry called 3DM Ministries. Uh, they're um, all across the U.S. and they help provide discipleship resources. They specialize in, get this, shapes. This is a circle. They have something with a triangle, something with a square. They have shapes, okay? So they just kind of create these resources that help diagram and create a visual aid, right? To illustrate some of these concepts. So here's a concept. You see the line on top. The reason why it's called Cairo Circle is time happens. It's chronological, chronos, right? And the X is something happened. And on the topic that we're talking today, something happened where if you are a believer in Christ and the Holy Spirit is living inside you, the Holy Spirit has nudged your conscience. It's like, ooh, something, there's something I need to pay attention to. Ooh, there's something that really made me feel uncomfortable. Oh, I'm still thinking about that one thing that I said. That's the X. That's the Kairos moment. That is a moment in time. And so what do we do with that moment? Instead of just keep on going, you take that moment and you take that little nudge, that kind of conscience that is kind of bothered, the thing that you keep on thinking about, that you now feel bad about, you feel guilty about, you can trust that that is the Holy Spirit working in you to convince you and convict you, hey, this is, this is an area of your life that I want you to be sanctified, to be made holy. So you take that moment and look, it says observe, right? That's the first step. You go around the circle. Observe. All you're doing is, this is what happened. Stick with the facts. This is indeed what happened. I yelled at my kids again. That's what happened. I yelled at my kids. I snapped at them. It was not pleasant. Then you reflect. How was I feeling? What happened? What are the surrounding things? You start reflecting a little bit. You know, I, I was stressed. I was pretty cranky. And um, I feel terrible now because this keeps happening. It's not the first time. There's something going on here. I wish I could stop. Reflect, right? Part of this reflection, if you look, look on the, that half of the uh, circle is, what is God saying to me? This is the act of repentance. Okay, God, I'm noticing that, that there's something here <laughs> that is causing me to pay attention to what just happened. And the fact that I don't feel good about it might be an indicator that this is an area of my life where you're wanting to work out your holiness. And so the, the question that is driving this reflection and observation really is, what is God saying to me? Or if I had to rephrase it, what do I know is now pleasing to God? What do I know and understand is pleasing and holy and good to God? So what is God saying to me and reflecting on this? And for me, I'm using, this is a real example, y'all. I'm not making this up. Like, yell at my kids. And so, it's something like this. It's like, you know, I yell at my kids when I'm really stressed out about, uh, 
you know, there's too much on my plate. There's a lot of work to be done. And all of a sudden, I'm so worried about work, so worried about my next task, that it seems like the people in my life, including my own family, they just get in the way. They're just disruptions to the more important tasks that I need to get done. Because me getting those tasks done makes me feel fill in the blank. That's a reflection piece. Discuss. Remember, this is in the context of community. You discuss that with hopefully a trusted brother or sister in Christ. Someone who can also help see like, yeah, we can call that for what it is. That's some kind of insecurity there. That's some kind of sin. And I think maybe the Lord is trying to do something in your life. Right? You're kind of bouncing that off. Now, here's my challenge to us. A lot of us, I think, when that X moment happens, the Kairos moment happens, we may make some observations. Oh, yeah, that happened. We may even reflect. I wonder why that happened. How am I feeling about that? We might even get to the point, whether it's like in care group or discipleship group or maybe with like a mentor or a friend, to kind of discuss and share that. You might even pray about it. What I found is that we often stop there. Anyone feel me, right? It's like, oh, my job is done. We often kind of stop there. And literally, kind of the momentum just kind of, it stops. We just kind of get stuck on the bottom. And we're in this kind of the endless cycle and loop, and it just keeps on happening. And so we must move from what is pleasing to God? What is God trying to say to me in this Kairos moment? What is he pointing out in my life? To this question of now what am I going to do about it? How am I actually going to work out my salvation? How am I actually going to obey and actually do something about it? So you make a plan, right? Just make a plan. I think this is what I'm going to do. Instead of yelling at my kids, now that I realize that it's not really my kids' behavior, that's the main problem here. It's my own insecurities. It's my own idolatry. It's my own things that I grew up with, thinking that work trumps everything because it'll make me feel more important or make me feel like this. And that, I need to give up. That is a problem. So as I share that, as I reflect on that, it's like now a plan is, Lord, and part of that is repentance and confession, right? That discussion part. It's like, Lord, I confess. This is sinful. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I am antagonizing my kids over not what they're doing, but because of my own flaws and my own sinfulness, the things that I just haven't taken care of, I need to pay attention to. As you're confessing that and you're bringing that to the Lord and saying, Lord, then you make a plan. Okay, what am I going to do differently? How am I going to live life differently? I'll give you one thing that I actually literally do. One thing that I struggle with a lot is just kind of this perfectionistic tendencies. And then so literally I just put a cap on my work. And some of us have the type of work you can just keep going. Some of us, you just clock out and you're done, see your work. Others of us is just always working, always on whatever industry you're in. So for me, I, literally, I just kind of put a cap on it. It's like, yep, I could work on this project or this paper or this message, or I could keep on working on it. 
But I just literally put a cap. It's like, we're done. By this time, it's just done. And whatever, whatever it is at that point, it is. I'm going to stop it. So that's just one example, right? So I, you can make a plan so that I think I'm going to do this. Then you have some accountability. Once again, this is in the context of community. Hey, brother, hey, sister, can you help me out in this area? And I just need some encouragement. What do you think? And then probably the hardest part is you act. You actually do it. And as you can see by that line, it's this, the trajectory changes. Even, even if it's just by a little bit. And so the concept, I think, is, is relatively straightforward. We're observing what is going on. We're reflecting on it. Hmm, what is this? We're trying to discern what is then holy and pleasing to God. And what do I actually need to confess and turn away from and then also repent of? And then you're actually doing it. What am I actually going to do about it? And taking actual tangible steps. And that's going to look different for a lot of us, how that actually happens. And this is an active and evolved work. Think about it. This is hard. It's not easy. It's easier to just kind of keep on going. Or it's easier to kind of like stop there and then just not a whole lot changes. And I also want to encourage us, maybe those of us who are kind of taking these active steps, these active steps, that faithfulness is not the same thing as flawlessness. We're not going to get it all, all right, right, right away. Here is the good news to that. This is a very hard and active, involved work. It requires effort and intentionality. And even when we do it together in community, it's not just up to us and our communal willpower. It's God himself who empowers us to live holy lives. The very next verse in Philippians chapter 2, which I just read, it says, work hard to show the results of our salvation, right? We have to work hard, obey God, because for God is working in you. He's the one who's giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, it is not just by your strength but it is God who is effectively at work in you, both to will and to be able to be strengthened by, energized by, creating in you the longing to, just even longing to, fulfill his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, to simplify that even more, if you, the one way to know a mark of a Christian a mark of a Christian is this. It's like, Lord, I want to live my life to please you. That is a sure mark of a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you are not thinking that at all. Not even close. You don't care. You're indifferent at best. But if you are a Christian, you have this desire, I want to do what pleases you, Lord. And going alongside, kind of parallel to that is a sure mark of a Christian that as you're growing in holiness is this, that you have a growing distaste and a growing sensitivity to sin. The reason I'm bringing this up is this. Let's not diminish or discredit 
the real work of God in your hearts and lives. Let's not diminish that. If you desire to do what is pleasing to God, if you even want to, Scripture just tells us that's evidence of God working in you right now. If you stop in your tracks and feel that pang of sin and you're sensitive, you're sensitive to its temptations and influence, that's evidence of God working in you. If you hear and read and listen to God's voice through his word with the community and and the people of God, and then you take the word, scripture, as God's holy word, it's not just some historical document, it's not just some literature, but you're convinced this is God's word to us. That's evidence of God working in you. Then if you can discern what is pleasing to God, I think this is what is pleasing to God then that's evidence of God working in you. Then when you can openly confess your sins to your brother or sister in Christ, shine the light on it, and then receive the confirmation that indeed we are forgiven in Christ and that it has no power and hold over us anymore, then that's evidence of God working in you. When you get back up, after falling into temptation to sin, and instead you take a step toward purity, that's evidence of God working in you. And when you're persistent and get back up again and again and again, trusting that God is empowering you, that is evidence of God working in you every time. And when that first step towards righteousness and holiness and purity turns into many steps and it becomes more and more consistent and now you're truly living out who we are in Christ and now these fruits of the Holy Spirit are becoming more and more evident and obvious in your life because you're now living it out. That's evidence of God working in you. When you forsake the idolatry of material possessions, start caring for other people. You do justice. You love mercy. You walk humbly before God. That's evidence of God working in you. When your taste for for worldly lust and ungodliness, when your taste for all these things, it just fades away. It's not that good for you. And when giving up something that society holds so valuable and dear, it doesn't really seem like that big of a sacrifice to you. Because simultaneously you're seeing that just how much good and better the Lord and his ways are. That's evidence of God working in you. When you're able to notice and encourage a growing holiness in your brothers and sisters in Christ then that's evidence of God working in you and through you. I want us to catch this, church, that if you want to do God's will and you're aware of it and sin is losing its taste and you're sensitive to it, know that that is God working in you to desire what he wants.
oftentimes I find it true for myself and for us. We often give ourselves such a hard time. And we, it's almost like we're dismissing God's genuine work in our hearts. Did you know that if you're not regenerate, if you're not in Christ, you wouldn't give a rip about what God thinks? So the fact that you do, the fact that you are bothered, the fact that you are moving towards and you want to do God's will, that desire is in you, that is not something that is self-produced. That is God working in you. Know that. Let's not diminish that. Let's celebrate that, even for one another. When we take these steps of faith and holiness again and trying to deny and deny ungodliness and lust and when we're kind of making these moves yes sometimes it feels like there's real resistance and pressure but yet even when you're able to do that period scripture tells us that as that is God working in you it's not going to happen all at once that's why we need community in one another isn't it I don't know about you but there have been times in my life it doesn't happen all the time that happens kind of every once in a while, where someone else said, someone else had to step in and say, Joe, I've noticed, I've known you for the last few years, and I've noticed that actually you've become more patient, let's just say. No one has really said that to me, but, you know, let's just say, right? I've noticed that you've become more gentle, that'd be a great, you know, or without, I've noticed you've become more patient. To tell you the truth, folks, I don't usually see that for myself. It usually takes someone else to point that out and say, hey, I notice that. What they're really saying is, I notice that God is in you, that you're united with Christ, and that God is working in you. God is working in you if you're experiencing these things. I want us to feel encouraged that, yes, the way seems long, and it is a fight. It is a struggle. And we have God on our side. He gives us the desire and the ability and the power to be able to take those steps. Don't give up. Don't give up. We are saved by the grace of God to live these holy lives. And we are united with him now. And he enables us and he is working in your heart. And so let's give ourselves to him. Let's trust that. Let's do what we can to now take these active steps towards purity and holiness and righteousness, encouraging each other along the way. Let's pray together. Lord God, uh, we're trusting right now that um, for many of us who are in this room, gathered together as your church, for those of us who have believed in you and are following after you, Oftentimes, we confess, we come discouraged. It's hard to really see goodness sometimes in our own actions, even in the actions of the folks around us. Help us to see, O oh Lord, um, when you do work. Help us to be assured, O oh Lord, when you do nudge our conscience that this is um, your work. Remind us, O Lord, of this, the new covenant that we have in the Lord Jesus. When you promised that, God, you would give us a new heart, that you would write your law on our hearts and our minds. 
that we will start to desire what you desire. That, Lord, this covenant is fulfilled in Christ, that it is possible and alive in us right now. So, Lord, um, help us to know that this is your will and your work. Help us and empower us, O oh Lord, and to discern what is sinful and what is holy, what is pleasing to you, and empower us, continue to empower us to walk after you. Help us, Lord, to do that together and for one another and being secure in your forgiveness and the new life that you've called us to. Help us, Lord, because we need it. Thank you, Lord, for helping us even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.